So hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Sporting Directions, proudly sponsored by Tsunami Teamwear. With me, Simon Atkinson. And me, Gavin Taylor. For those of you who are new to the show, Sporting Directions is aimed at providing some ideas and guidance to those of you wanting to pursue a career in the world of sport. Over the course of this first series, we will be interviewing a range of professionals from different areas of sport to share some of their amazing stories. We'll be having them share with us some of their achievements, some of their struggles, and any advice they may have for others wanting to pursue a career in sport. And today we are happily welcomed by Thomas Hitchings. Now, Thomas is an assistant head teacher and director of sport at the British International School of Shanghai Pushi campus and has been a prominent figure in the development of sport and physical education across Asia for over a decade. Welcome, Thomas. So let's begin. Where did it all start for you? Hi, boys. Um, so so when, I, uh, when I was a young lad uh, growing up in Leicester, I was given lots of opportunity to go and go and attend lots of different sporting events. And if I'm honest, I wasn't very good at lots of different sports that I tried and I didn't shine at them. Um, I tried my hardest and I was I was very fit, very physically fit, but I didn't really jump into lots and lots of different sports uh, first as as a as a choice of sport but one thing that happened to me was when i was uh when i was around 13 my dad took me to a bike race uh, on a sunday morning because i was uh i was a bit lively on the weekends and he wanted to keep me keep me interested in things so he took me to a bike race and we went to watch a particular bike race in in leicester it was a cyclocross race and it was very very muddy and i had a watch of it enjoyed it and he said do you want to come back next week and then my sporting career started and I, uh, I found cycling. I, I went every week and I started winning races after a, after a few months. And then I started rising to the top of the pile of, uh, of my own chosen sport. And it was a bit niche back in the, back in the 90s. It was a bit, of a bit of a sport that people didn't know about. So I watched what was happening with the other sports like football and rugby at school. But I was, uh, I was really enjoying my cycling. And I saw it as, a, as a, an opportunity that I took on my own as a kind of intrinsic motivation as I, as I retrospectively look back at it. When I then started thinking about taking my GCSEs and looking at A-levels, I started thinking, I really want to be involved in sport, but all these other guys were doing different sports. All these other guys in GCSE and in A-level were doing um, rugby, football, basketball, um, tennis, and they were all fantastic at these, at these team sports. And what I thought was I didn't really have the confidence to jump in to a uh, to a GCSE in PE or a G- or a A level sports science. My dad stood next to me when we were making the choices, and he said, uh, "He said, well, what 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 are you passionate about? What do you really want to do?" I said, "I want to I want to do sport. I want to go into PE." And he said, "Well, what's holding you back?" And I said, "It's uh, and I was very honest with my dad. We had a great relationship." Um, I said, it's not really my um, area where all these boys are having a, it, it was like lads, lads, lads. And they're all rugby players and football players. And I was this unique cyclist who could run cross-country races and didn't have to talk to anybody, just went out and went training. And he said, well, it's only going to be a new for about two lessons and then you'll get to know everybody and you'll see who these, who these boys are and you'll be able to just have a go with it. So I went into um, GCSE PE, did okay. Uh, failed failed a couple of GCSEs that I needed to get to A-level. So I had to retake a year. And that was a big blow. It was a really big blow for me because all my mates went up into A-levels 
and I had to think about something for a year. And it was it was at that moment when I realized I wasn't going to get to where I wanted to be that I took that as a huge knockback and it taught me a lot about getting back up again and working hard. I had to go back and do night school for a year. I did a GMVQ in health and social care because I was thinking I was at a, I was at a, a, a kind of crossroads to decide if I want to go into PE teaching or sport or something, I'm going to have to go to A-levels and do this. If I'm not going to do it, if I fail this uh, this GCSE that I need to get in order to get my A-levels, um, which I'm learning at night school, I'm going to have to back it up with something. And I was thinking about being a paramedic. So I went and did a GMVQ in, in health and social care to get myself on that ladder. And I kind of hedged my bets for a year. But there was no way there was no way after such a long time of, of wanting this, I suddenly taught myself that that actually was exactly what I wanted. It was worth working for. Nailed that GCSE, got the extra little bits I needed, had an MVQ, and then uh, jumped onto the sports science course with biology and, uh, and geography, um, which effectively now, if you're in an IB school, would be IB uh, sports and exercise health science, I think it is. <laughs> so, so I got to the end of that. I just about scraped through and got to university to do it was education with physical education. So it was a four-year dual degree that taught me to be a primary school teacher and a secondary physical education teacher. So a one-off um, graduate level, when, once you got to the end of that, they actually closed the course off again because they realized that it opened too many doors for people. I think they wanted to get other things going. But I got, a, I got my degree and I went straight into Manchester to start teaching in a primary school to get my qualified teacher status. And I went to a, uh, I went through six years there and then went international. Now that's the educational route that I took, but there was another route which, uh, which I took alongside of this, which was a very personal journey between the ages of about 17 and 22. I was trying my hardest, and this is the reason why I was failing exams. I was trying my hardest to become a professional cyclist. I was racing Every weekend, I was uh, going off to places. I was, if I was working on a, I was working in the school on a Friday. I was finishing at one o'clock, and and I was ditching lessons on Friday afternoon to get to races on Saturday morning and be able to go and ride courses early and get to get to do these races. And it was all mountain biking at the time. This this went on for a while. And I, I believed that I had a shot, and I think my dad backed me up on, on this. And he said, "You you're backing yourself. You're doing this. You're working hard in every every level." I always had this feeling that he was there for me, pushing me, but not, not in a sporting context, in the back yourself up with the education context. He said, it, it might fall apart, you might not make it, and you need to make sure that you've got something to fall back on, which every parent says the same thing to their kids. But believe me, it was the right thing to say to me because just about uh, six months into a, a, a pro contract. I was hit by a bus and broke my back and then finished the career. It was, uh, it was a very difficult time, but moving on from that, I, I was backed up. I had the right things to do. And I, I lost my way as a person because my identity was based on the cycling. Um, so I had to start thinking about things um, to move through. So in order to progress in my career, that was all happening nicely. And I was going into a work solidly, get things done, make sure you pass this, make sure you pass that. But as a, as a person, I'd lost my definition um, and I didn't really know what I was doing. Once I got through the end of that, I'd managed to get to university and I found university was a real lynch point. I had a, 
had a, a, a really very special uh, tutor there who showed me my way. I was diagnosed at university with dyslexia and, uh, and he said, this is why you attach things to this. This is why you, you are trying to define yourself this way. He just saw me through as a person to get through to the end of university and said, take your passion and give it to the kids. Go to teaching and give your passion for sport to the kids. Since then, it's been education, education, education ever since. Moving to China, I've taken an opportunity in, in Shanghai. I was teaching at a very small school first, and then I moved over to Bispushi and gradually rose up to director of sport after lots and lots of sports development. I feel that was quite a long answer for a, uh, for a <laughs> the start question, but there you go. <laughs> No, Thomas, it's an amazing story. And uh, obviously there's loads in there to, 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 to take and, and pick away. I'm just going to ask you a bit of a question that kind of related with me when you were talking about it. So, you know, from a sports background as well, obviously you, you take a lot, you've said yourself, you tried a lot of different sports and, and, and you played a lot of different sports. I'm just curious to know, what was it about cycling that really, that really got, you, got you excited? You said yourself you tried different sports. What, what was it about cycling that you felt Okay, this this is the sport for me. This is the one that really motivates me to 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 to, to perform and, and do the best that I can. I think hindsight's a wonderful thing, and I'm I'm able to reflect on it now, and see and kind of psychoanalyze my former self, and know that I'm I'm incredibly intrinsically motivated um, to the point of I really don't mind what other people are saying about me. It does go in, and I but I process it very quickly now. I've always been like that right from the start. Um, when I was uh, when I was in cycling, um, I felt like it was a safe space for me to be on my bike and race and just use tactics around me. I was you kind of on a, in a bubble on your own bike, especially in mountain biking and cyclocross. You, you're racing your own race. There's not a lot of team going on there. I felt that the people around me at school who were footballers, hockey players, rugby players, they were doing that to get their external motivation from their players and from their team. And I didn't feel that in, I, I, I felt like I didn't fit into that because I didn't need it. And it was all this kind of, the community was there. And I, I was, don't get me wrong. I was, I was a good hockey player. I was a, an adequate footballer that you call it functional. And, uh, and I could, and I like tackling in rugby. I like, I like the contact in rugby, but it was, it just never felt like I gelled into the team because I was more about my own being in there. Oh, that makes that makes sense. I mean, you spent you said they you you mentioned a few times in there that you claim you're, you're very intrinsically motivated. So I suppose my, my next question for B was how did you know then what direction that you, you wanted to go in when you came to sport? You talked about the fact that you um, did a dual degree where you could have gone down a primary route, you could have gone down a, a secondary PE route. When did when did you know, okay, this is the direction for me? I'm deciding this is the way I'm going to go. It, did something happen? Is there a story to tell? Just, just wondering the reason why you went the direction that you did. Uh, well, there's a there's a bit of a joke in our family about this. Um, so I come from what is joked about in a family as a government experiment. Uh, my my mum and dad were both teachers, uh, both primary school. Um, their both parents on both sides were were all teachers as well. So I I must have something in me which is which has this empathy chip in there that you can be patient with people and uh, and you can you can work with people in, in different ways and be able to connect with them. I think I didn't recognize that, but I think my parents did. And they, although they were never pushy, uh, they guided me towards a vocation that I could use that skill in. To make that choice about sport was easy. 
and this will kind of this this topic will will come up again as we go through this interview is that I take my opportunities and when an opportunity comes up I mull it over I think about it but I'm if I feel it's the best route I make it happen and that's where that's where I take it it's about um knowing which decisions to make and knowing which ones can keep the doors open for the other for the other options too and this route of choosing primary or secondary was allowed to keep those doors open by taking that university degree. At the end of it, I think I just took the first job that came up because I was uh, I was I needed some money, I needed some uh, some support, and I had a had a bunch of mates in Manchester who had all graduated the year before me because they'd grown up with me in Leicester and they'd all moved to Manchester. And I think it was an easy pickings uh, situation. I went to a a school which needed a lot of help because they were inner city. I wanted to work with the grassroots first. I'd made that, I made that choice early. Uh, I wanted to work with the younger kids first to ensure that I had that experience because I knew that PE jobs in secondary schools are, are difficult to get, but they will certainly be better when you have experience of how the primary school links to the secondary school. And that's, and that's, who, that's how my university lecturers told me as well. They said, do this first, get your QTS there, and then go to secondary education. That's, that's a fantastic story, Tom, and, and lots to pick up on. I, I really, really like the, the idea of uh, the, the government experiment, as you, as you put it, the, the idea <laughs> behind um, genetic teachers, the, 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 the DNA of the teachers being, being bred through your, your, your family tree. I, I don't come from a, a similar background, that, so, so I'm, I'm a teacher, as, as you well know as well, and, and I come from a family of architects and, and builders, um, so I, I don't really have that kind of uh, <laughs> a genetic in me, but some of the qualities you were picking up on were, were, were certainly qualities that I relate to. Looking at the way that I teach, I, I can say that I and many of my friends in, in, in teaching have those similar qualities. I was just hoping you could maybe expand on that a little bit more and, and anyone that's listening who's thinking about going into into this profession what what sort of qualities would you say that they would really need to, to have or work on to, to really succeed in this profession I think the the way that we we work in sport to work in to work as a director of sport it takes a world of experience to get you there to diversify that experience is is really important the the skills that you need or the the ability in within oneself is uh, is more about being being open to new ideas. I'd say I think that is a is a huge asset to people, because that in turn, when you're working within a P department, and we've all worked in P departments before, you have to be able to be flexible, and which means you have to be able to listen to people. As an NQT, you walk in, and you think, yeah, I've got all this, I'm I'm young and ready to go, and then someone someone who's worldly experienced will walk into you and say, listen. This is how we do it. We, you need to learn this way first, and then you can start making it better. Um, so that flexibility and that understanding of other people's points of view—if you've—if you've already got that, if you're very understanding of people, then this is a this is a vocation that you could you could take a, a leap into. I think the other other side of it, if you're you you have to be able to learn from your mistakes and learn from your choices, and you have to own them. It's a, a PE is is very or sport particularly is very much about making sure that you take responsibility for your actions. And if you are leading a group of people, or if you're leading uh, an institution of people who all look up to you, or even as just the newest newly qualified teacher, PE teacher, a bunch of people are looking up to you, 
to run their session and understand what's what's going to happen. You need to take responsibility of that. And it can't be down to it's your fault for doing this. You have to be able to reflect on every moment. And as a as a teenager, my intrinsic value was that I reflected on everything. Probably overdid it too much. And that probably confused me too much. But as you mature into it, you you understand that every every opportunity you take has a learning moment in there and you've got to look for it and you've got to use it as much as possible. That's really interesting. I like the idea that, you know, you have to be flexible. You have to be open to new ideas. I also like the link to, to the accountability. I, I would agree. We, we definitely need to be held accountable, but be uh, willing to hold our hand up when we make mistakes and, and learn from those mistakes. That actually takes me on to my, my next question, really. We, we, you know, we, we've delved into a lot of the barriers that, that came up and, and how you've overcome those barriers, like the night school, uh, the, the, the GCSE sort of uh, barrier, the, the cycling barrier, all these other barriers. But what I want to know is, what's been your biggest accomplishment? What has really kind of you achieved and, and has driven you forward in the direction that you're going now? It's really, it's really difficult to say, because as, as I said before, I'm quite intrinsically motivated. And although I do have a list of accomplishments that, that are markers or key performance indicators in, in how I work, it's really, I think a lot, of my, a lot of my life is really about signing off things and making sure that you've finished it. So these, these small markers I think Dave Brailsford probably would would, uh, would say it's uh, it's all about those those small little wins that you can take that give you the that give you the big win. It's really it's really difficult for me to really single out one particular thing that I'm particularly proud of. The the probably the biggest thing is my my team's work, my PE team's work as um, as a unit is fantastic. It's because what I've tried to work over the last. I'd say six or seven years is that I've tried to help them um, work within a team that feels safe to challenge each other and um, happy to be challenged by each other. I'd say the fact that we've achieved this, um, we've got a, a a rule that is not an echo chamber. You you don't have to agree with everybody, and you can you can respectfully talk about each other um, and talk about their ideas, and you can challenge people. I think that's my biggest win if, over the over my twenty years now of, of teaching. I think to be able to foster that kind of environment so teachers want to be in the room and want to challenge and want to be challenged. I think we've we've really fostered a growth mindset as a group and um, I'm really proud of that. I really like that. It's, it's hugely inspirational. I mean, the, the phrase growth mindset is definitely one that it is linking towards a high quality team and then a high quality leader. So um, just taking that on, because I think what's really interesting is you talk a lot about being intrinsically motivated but then how have you you've had to change that tactic a little bit when you've become a leader to start ensuring that you're inspiring and supporting others. And obviously you can still be intrinsically motivated, of course, but as you said, you have to try and consider the needs of your, of your team. But I just wanted to know, you said a lot there about creating a safe space. Have you got any advice for anyone listening who is potentially new into leadership or uh, even or even experienced leaders out there? Have you got like a, a technique or, or, or something that you do that helps to create that safe space? I think it's been it's been a long time running and I've had a lot of help from the people working with me on this, the, the middle leaders. But uh, I'd, I'd say that you need to be able to engage your empathy chip. You need to be able to understand people and why they might challenge you. So we've done a lot of training on very small steps of opening up. 
um, being able to talk about uh, it's it sounds it doesn't sound like a sportsman saying this, but it's uh, it's about talking about your feelings at the start of a of a meeting. Right? We we do a uh, we do a card section where you you have to say what your what your diamond is this week, and you talk about someone else, and you say you're a diamond this week because, and you have to think of one person, and everybody has to think of one person. And you can do whatever you want, but then you have to say, yeah, what's your uh, what's your spade this week then? And what are you digging? What hole have you dug this week that you didn't want to dig? And you reflect on positives and negatives, but it's very much open. And in order to do that, what we've done is we ask the new guys to do it and we ask the old guys to do it. And it's create it's fostered a culture of being able to talk to each other and being able to show vulnerability. So I'd say if you are, again, it all comes back to that key independent factor is you've got to take responsibility for yourself. And you've got to take responsibility for your actions. And as a manager, if you want to lead people into a growth mindset, you have to really show the prime example of how to do that, of asking yourself, what is the best way of doing this? And am I wrong? And asking someone, can you can you just have a quick look at this and tell me what's going on with it? And if they come back with spelling mistakes, then that isn't that isn't the answer that I wanted. I wanted to come back and say, that that part there, I think this could look like this instead. And then you have a conversation and you might keep it the way you want, but you need to be able to listen to people. That's great. I'm sure I speak for all the listeners when I say I I love the diamond and spade idea. I'm sure um, many will be stealing that. Um, I know. uh, I can't take credit. I can't take credit. (laughs) Yeah, I'm definitely taking that one away with me. That's that's a fantastic (laughs) little one. I'll drop in my my colleague's name is uh, Natasha Manley. She she brought that one to the room. Said this is how we're going to do it. So we were asking the question, how can we do it? She brought the idea. So. You've name dropped Natasha in there. I'm sure she's listening. She'll be very happy with that. So <laughs> um, kind of the just to move on from that as well. And you talk a lot about being reflective, and, and I think we all agree that that's a, a really big, a really important trait for for any um, young teacher or, or or expiring leader or experienced leader. But I'm just curious to know if you um, met a young Thomas Hitchens way back in when he was 15, 16, you started this journey again. Um, what one piece of advice would you give that young man to help him to get to the, the, the end goal of, the, sort of where you are now? Oh, that's a, uh, so, so that, that's a good, it's a really good question because it's, there's, there's so many different parts of, of the life, isn't there? There's so many parts. So if I, if I just go um, and I think, it is to be able to uh, look at which parts of your life are being affected by the other parts of your life and make sure that there's balance across the board, whether it's the sport that you're playing, the the partner you're with, or the mortgage you've got to pay or things like that. If you, if you allow something that to creep up on you and, and allow it to affect your life in a, in a negative or too positive way, then you can you can overdo one side of it and you lose the balance on the other side. Um, I think there's an actor, what's his name? Uh, Matthew Mahonahay has said, um, pick up the crumbs. He said, don't leave anything at the end of the day, end of the week, don't leave anything on the floor. You pick up the crumbs in all parts of your life and life will be balanced. But if you leave something on the floor, whether it's debt or relationship, then you, uh, then you, you pay consequences for it. And so follow up, finish off and finish all your tasks. I, I love that idea of balance. We all hear the word balance in life a lot, balance work, balance life. 
but but that's a really nice way of putting it together. The, the, the image of picking up the crumbs, leaving nothing behind. I, I love that idea. I really do love that idea. And we've had a lot of really good little insights from you, Tom. I, I love the idea of um, take the little wins. The little wins count. The little wins stack up. The little wins bring the big wins. And quite often, many of us can, can have four or five little wins and one little failure. And the, the little failure is the thing that eats away at us and stops us from sleeping. But uh, sometimes we do need to think back and, uh, and wonder, you know, you know, how many little wins, count up those little wins and, and see the bigger picture. I don't know if you agree, Tom. That's, that's the way I'm looking at it. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's the, the marginal gain effect. It's the, you, you will you'll win the Tour de France if you have the right wheels, but you have to have the right tyres and the right bike underneath you and the right training and the right helmet and the right aero. By, you win the whole thing by doing all, all the little things right properly. You asked a, a, a little bit about my um, about my greatest achievement, and I've just there's something's popped into my head about when I do feel like I've achieved. It's kind of a definition of success for me. It's the it's what I it's only and this has really only popped up since I've been director of sport here in here in Shanghai. It's when you when you have a have an event, you have to run a big event for couple of hundred kids come in and they've traveled in they're staying in hotels and you're organizing the buses and things like that and um and i don't the, the hard work and all the little parts that the moving parts that you put together it's all process orientated so you're just ticking off the bits making sure that that bit leaves at the right time and gets there you, no one no one celebrates organizing a bus but no and no one celebrates uh making sure the footballs are the right size they just go the footballs are the right size and but all those little bits add up and when you get to stand by the end of a, at the end of a football pitch or, the, or watching a game that's happening and you see the kids light up because they're enjoying themselves, living their best life because you've provided an opportunity for them to do it. That's the biggest win. And, but it takes all those little jobs to do, do it right. I think you've just hit the nail on the head there, Tom. And anyone wanting to get into this profession, um, I think it, they need to get into this profession for the right reasons. It's... We, we, we do it for those smiles. Uh, we, we do it for those uh, big pictures, seeing the children enjoy something that you have helped to build, not necessarily getting direct thanks for the bite-sized balls and the organising the bus <laughs> and the hotels, but getting those smiles at the end of the day and, and knowing that you've just made a, a, a forever memory for that child. You, you, you've helped that child move forward toward their own potential career and, and, and hopefully we've inspired them to, 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 to move into that, that sporting industry. That's it. That's it. I think um, the, the opportunities you give kids, it gives them a chance to be stressed out. It gives them a chance to, um, to try something new in a, in a safe space. Neil Rollins puts it best for me in a, in a conversation. He said, you need smiles on red faces. That's absolutely perfect way to sum it up. Right, so we're we're actually coming to the end. So um, we're going to finish it in a bit of a, a bit of a fun way. I've got a, I've got a question that I just want you to shoot from the hip and 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 just tell us what comes into your brain. So I'm curious, and this is going to be a difficult one for you because you come from a family of um, genetically predisposed teachers. That is, if you weren't a teacher, what other job do you think you would be doing right now? Uh, it's you know it's uh, I often I often think about this and I was I, I talked about before about being working on an ambulance crew and I did some work experience with one found out I did not want to do that job um, massive respect to those people it's uh, it's an awful awful day out and uh, and 
I think I'd probably be a fell runner or a I'd work in the mountains somewhere, working in a in an outdoor shop or something like that, where probably completely different to what I'm doing now, but just standing in a standing in the mountains guiding people or doing something along those lines out, out in the outdoors somewhere. Awesome, Thomas. My my fun questions I like to ask, um, and you've said quite a few of them today, actually. So it's interesting to see whether one that you've said is 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 the one, or if there's one that actually uh, supersedes these. But I want to know what one sentence or saying would you say that you feel you live you, you live your life by? Mm. <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot. Uh, it's. Uh, can I give you two? Of course you can. You've given us quite a few okay. really good ones that I've written down already. I'm going to steal as well. So please do, please do. So one that's most relevant to this uh, to this forum is that whichever whichever choice you make, it will be the right one because you have to make it work. There's no getting around it. So that's what my dad used to tell me all the time. Make the choice, make it work. The other one is never stop being kind. You've got to be kind to people. Everybody's going through something. Always be kind to people. Simple of that one. <laughs> yeah, I like that idea. Just, just be a good person, and that's 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 what we we need more of in this world. People being good people, sharing ideas like we're doing now, and helping others get to where they want to be. Uh, and and that's, there's a reason I have these in the background because I do hope that we can all end up in this position, doing what we love and loving what we do. And that's 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 the aim. <laughs> Fantastic. If you're not um, if you're not enjoying yourself at work, then uh, you shouldn't be doing it. That's it. <laughs> right well tom we want to say a huge thank you for you taking time out of your day we know you're a busy busy person um and and we know that there's going to be a lot of people out there that are going to take an awful lot away from this conversation i know i have i've, I've filled several pages of my little notebook here and there's a few things like the, the diamonds and the spades that i'm going to be uh, trying out next week with my own team thanks for your time really appreciate it lovely to meet you and, and thanks for sharing your inspirational story with us and the rest of the listeners as well Thank you. It's been a pleasure. All the best, Tom. Bye-bye.